You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Face Off, which came out in 1997 and was directed by John Woo. You have lived and breathed Castor Troy for years. You think that I want to do this? When he took on the face of his son's killer. That bomb is out there. We're almost out of time. The killer took his. From the director of Broken Arrow. Not John Travolta. Nothing like having your face cut off to disturb your sleep. Nicolas Cage. Face off. Not having any fun. Radar starts Friday, June 27th. It stars Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, Joan Allen, Alessandro Nivola, Gina Gershon, Dominique Swain, CCH Pounder, Harv Presnell, Nick Cassavetes, and Margaret Cho. The genre would be face-swapping action thriller. You know, I can uh, eat a page for hours. It's like looking in a mirror on the not. Wow. Any film with lines like those should not work as well as this film does, and 25 years later, it still works. Because it was the right mix of batshit stars with the right batshit director coming together at just the right bat time in the right bat place. Yes, Michael Douglas and David Pramut producing was critical to this project, and yes, the screenwriters, Mike Verb and Michael Collery, we're probably feeling a bit emboldened after the sugar high of Jim Carrey elevating their material with The Mask just a couple of years prior. And yes, the film just looks so crisp thanks to DP Oliver Wood, who clearly knew how to shoot action, having just coming off a good Die Hard sequel, and a few years from shooting the Bourne trilogy. But at the end of the day, it's the big three of Wu, Cage, and Travolta that really make this film sing. Oh, and these guys just don't sing. No, they bellow. Hallelujah for all to hear after strutting in front of a choir dressed like priests. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! There is very little that's subtle in this film, and for its core high-concept premise of, and this is basically the tagline as well, And now after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. That fits really well. The various twists and turns of this story have been picked apart by folks who both love and hate this movie, and for good reason. On paper, much of the story just doesn't really make much sense, though it certainly helps to have a game cast to really sell this concept. Height difference is negligible. Skin pigment, eye pigment, micro plugs for body hair. Then we simply connect the muscles, tear ducts, and nerve endings. Which this movie does. Now, there are at least two strong supporting performances by Joan Allen and Gina Gershon, which ground the film whenever possible, but not enough to truly slow it down. Face-Off is almost operatic in how it treats its central premise. You see it in that first moment when Cage's version of Sean Archer, the protagonist, he is first looking in the mirror at his new face after having just had his face transplanted. It's an emotional moment. He plays very straight with pure anguish on his face, and it's very effective. Fuck you! Sean! Fuck you! Sean, come Sean! Sean! Archer! You're shot, Archer! What 
feast is over, I want you to take this face and burn it. And that's where Cage really stretches, literally. He's just doing so much with his face in this, from bug-eyed grin on absinthe to anguished chain-smoking to a Looney Tunes-like bewildered send-off at one point. It's quite the show. Whereas Travolta delivers the histrionics with various inflections of his voice. At times, he does sound like Cage would, while at other times, he seems to go full-on Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey. Interception. Now our side's got the ball. Sorry. But he still creates a very distinct persona who is always entertaining to watch and even occasionally relatable as Caster Troy, the villain. Both actors are just going for it. Sasha, what the fuck are you doing here? No matter who they're playing and what results is a seemingly bloated 140-minute dialogue-heavy revenge tale which yet never has any lulls and yet moves. Someone is always laughing, screaming, or monologuing, or even all three at the same time, if you could buy that. They took the switch for some fucking... But it's cool. We're going to deal with it. (laughs) Oh, yes, we're going to deal with it. The action looks amazing throughout, and he makes good use of his entire cast, John Woo does. Even allowing folks like Alessandra Nivola, playing Pollux, Caster's Muppet-voiced brother. Bro. I figured he might drop in on some of our old friends. And if my eyes don't deceive, I think this fellow's beginning to enjoy being you. CCH Pounder, Dominique Swain, and Nick Cassavetes, who has one of the great bold entrances ever given to a character. You'll know it when you see it. Everyone just makes the most of their screen time, resulting in no shortage of quotable dialogue and, of course, hundreds of future memes. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Throughout the 90s, and likely very much due to the skyrocketing influence of Quentin Tarantino, who really helped pioneer these, we saw the explosion of a specific type of needle drop, the ironic needle drop. More often than not, this would include the use of a relatively quiet and or meditative song, usually a ballad, which we would hear playing in the background during a scene or sequence that was anything but quiet or meditative. This could also take the form of a peppy, happy song playing the background of something on screen which is definitely not happy. Probably one of the most infamous or famous examples of this was in Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs when we hear the chirpy guitar hook of Steeler Wheels stuck in the middle with you playing over a sequence of Michael Madsen gleefully torturing a police officer. Yeah, this scene is not for the faint of heart. Well, roughly halfway through Face Off, the Wooster, as I sometimes call John Woo, he goes all in with likely one of the more on-the-nose ironic needle drops that you are ever likely to see or hear. We are at the swanky apartment slash drug den of Dietrich, played by Nick Cassavetes, who was an associate of Castor Troy's. And Castor has come to hide out there. Of course, he's actually Sean. Well, never mind. Uh, anyways, evil Sean Archer, <laughs> who's actually Castor Troy, using his FBI power has tracked him down with government agents, and they raid the place guns a-blazing. 
because that's what government agents are supposed to do, right? No matter, because what results is a crazy shootout. Furniture is flying, people are flipping all over and ducking for cover. Most others are just shooting back. And it's just a full-on melee. Well, Gina Gershon's Sasha has her young boy there. He's scared, still in his pajamas, and right in the middle of all this. So in some bizarre attempt to protect him, or distract him, I guess, Dietrich winks at the kid, tells him to stay hidden, and sticks these giant headphones on him playing a song, which will hopefully provide him with some comfort amidst all of the loud carnage all around him. It's the classic theme song from The Wizard of Oz, of course. Sure. And we hear this lovely melody playing over a slow motion montage of gunfire and folks flying through the air, all while this little boy is just blissfully listening to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Only, it's not the original Judy Garland version, as the filmmakers could just not get the rights to play this over such violent imagery. Gee, I wonder why. But they were able to nab the rights to a lovely remake of this song from Olivia Newton-John, from her 1989 album, Warm and Tender. And she's got a lovely voice too, so why not? It still works. Don't be scared, all right? All right? And that brings us to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Going through the extended cast of this film, imagine my pleasant surprise to realize that, honestly, there were no good actors or actresses who were wasted in this film. And this film also has a great cast. Even what would initially seem to be a thankless role on paper as the put-upon wife of Sean Archer, a role that she still was likely overqualified for, Oscar nominee Joan Allen, not for this movie, for other movies, leaves a mark with her performance as Eve Archer, Sean Archer's wife. She has her share of meaty dialogue and meaty emotional moments, which she just kills to help ground the story a bit. Thank you for trusting me. Right now, I don't trust anyone. Eve, where'd you get that gun? I took it from my fake husband. Put it down. You know I'm Sean. Do I? Maybe Sean's already dead, huh? And among this stacked supporting cast, you also have character actress CCH Pounder, talented actress, who also has limited screen time early on as a CIA operative who introduces Sean Archer to the face-swapping program, for lack of a better term. And even she gets a standout moment when we get to watch her put out a cigarette on a comatose caster Troy. Seriously, no matter how small the part, Every actor involved gets to have their moment. They get to allow their freak flag to fly. That brings us to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Wow, this is a tough one to drill down to just one, so I will narrow it down to two. One for each of the stars because they just have so many memorable moments. For Nicolas Cage, it's actually a scene leading up to the shootout sequence referenced for Best Needle Drop, as it turns out. When his caster Troy, who's actually Sean Archer, (laughs) first shows up to Dietrich's apartment, he is welcomed with open arms. They all thought he was dead or in federal custody. So Dietrich and his boys invite him to the 
drug party, which they are already having, and they've even given him his own special box of valuables, which we had seen earlier in the movie. With the highlight of said box being some chiclets, some joints, some pills, and of course his special custom-made gold-plated pistols. He has two, which he likes to wield throughout the movie. I swear, sometimes describing the plot for this movie, it almost feels like I'm reading a Mad Libs, but in a good way. So he's pretending to live it up with them in the living room, aiming his guns for fun, and plotting his revenge on Sean Archer, who, of course, is really Caster Troy. Keep up with me. When asked what specifically he wants to do, the answer is, of course, quite simple. He wants to take Sean Archer's face off. And this is just one of those quintessential actor moments for the cagester, as he not only describes this in a unique manner, but also pantomimes it in a way that only Nicolas Cage can. And from this moment, hundreds of memes were born. I'd like to take his his face off. Cat. You want to take his face? Yes. His face off. The eyes, nose, skin. It's coming off. The face. No more drugs for that man. As for John Travolta, well, you could almost take your pick. Pretty much goes full-on ham sandwich for the last two-thirds of this movie as he is now playing the evil caster wearing the face of Sean and clearly having a great time doing it. For me, though, it's when he is able to reunite with his brother Pollux, whom he is, of course, pretending to interrogate, pretending to be their mortal enemy, Sean Archer. And honestly, this scene is as much of a showcase for Alessandra Nivola playing his absurdly quirky brother. I've heard my share of criticisms for this performance and the weird, affected voice that he uses, but sorry, I just dig it. It works for me. Sean comes upon the interrogation room in the guise of getting the necessary information for a bomb that both of the Troy brothers planted somewhere in L.A. That's kind of the driver of this plot. Of course, him being really caster, he already has that information. But he has more nefarious things planned now that he is in this position of power as a top-ranking government agent in the FBI. And just before he starts to clue Pollux in, he turns off the interrogation room camera. And their interaction, which follows, is just sublime. Both actors almost literally seem to be competing to see who can chew more scenery. But no matter who comes out on top within this scene, it doesn't matter because we, the audience, are the winners in the end. What about when I become an American hero for defusing the bomb? What's that worth? Know that. Thank you. Next question. <laughs> You're not the only one in the family with brains. No. Although now I am the only one with the looks. Touche. And now the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. And that finally brings us to Wu, John Wu. Blowing up big time on the Hong Kong scene, John Wu had already spent the 10 plus previous years before Face Off revolutionizing the action genre often with his muse Chow Yun-Fat. But initially bringing his talents to the States, even with stars like Travolta or Van Damme headlining his first couple of films, the magic just didn't seem to completely translate until this film. Face Off remains by far his best Hollywood film, though I do have a soft spot for Mission Impossible 2. Don't at me. Because he blends all of his signature tricks, dual-wielding guns, symmetrical two-shots of our main characters, slow-mo, Overhead intro shots, doves. Yeah, did I mention doves? Very important. 
And he did all of this with a true 90s Hollywood vibe of excess all over it. All the toys and pyrotechnics that John Woo could play with at the time. And as stated previously, Woo could not have pulled this off without the right stars at the right time. During the long development for this movie, different stars were attached. It was going to be Arnold versus Sly, Harrison Ford versus Michael Douglas. But honestly, none of these other combinations would have worked as well as this one. Two eccentric, talented actors at the height of their capabilities, aligned with a director who knew how to utilize them best in their efforts to all go over the top. For that reason, John Woo, John Travolta, and Nicolas Cage are your co-MVPs. Your son was an accident. I wanted to kill you. But you took it so personally. Why didn't you just kill yourself or let it go? No father could. No brother could either. My rating for Face Off would be four and a half stars out of five. What a predicament. A film like this could not have been made like this in 1987, 1977, 1957, or even 2007. This is a 1997 film through and through with just the right mixture of influences from that particular time period. Tony Scott, Tarantino, obviously John Woo, James Cameron, and there's even a healthy dollop of Paul Verhoeven's perverse sensibilities thrown in there for good measure. Rewatching it for what feels like the 200th time, this film never disappoints. And if you're looking to watch Face Off, it is currently streaming on Pluto TV. And that ends another dual-wielding review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.